Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Tricia Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for New Books in Architecture with a special mini-series in Landscape Architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. If you have any ideas for books, please drop me an email at plantspeoplelove at gmail.com. And today's special guest, Hail from Europe, we have Teaching Landscape, the Studio Experience. And I'm going to try to pronounce the names correctly. Uh, Forgive me, audience. Uh, We have the four authors are Karsten uh, Joens. Jürgen, there you go. Uh, Nigel Cardison, and she's not here. Um, oh, she is here. The other one is uh, Elke Merktens and Richard Stiles. Richard, that was easy. Um, that was good. <laughs> I did my best. I'm going to let them all say their names correctly now, and uh, we'll start with Richard. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the audience and tell them a little bit about yourself? Hi, I'm Richard Stiles. I, I'm now uh, the Emeritus Professor of Landscape Architecture at the Vienna University of Technology, uh, where I was teaching for yeah, nearly a quarter of a century, I think, when I uh, go back, um, teaching landscape architecture, but in this case to architects and planners. So it was a slightly different experience, I think, uh, to that of my colleagues. Um, and I've also been uh, active uh, at the European level in terms of um, the European Council of Landscape Architecture Schools, as, as have my other colleagues, and uh, we've been uh, working together to network and, and develop uh, initiatives at the European level. So I think that's that's enough for an intro. Okay, thank you. Elke? Um, hi, my name is Elke Mertens. I am um, well, a traditional landscape architect, uh, educated in Berlin at the Techni- Technical University, have worked a little bit and um, I have been a professor for garden architecture and open space management for well, a bit over 20 years now, um, at the University of Applied Sciences in Neubrandenburg, which is in the northeast of Germany. And I met the colleagues um, in in a long working period together in the European issues of teaching and research a little bit. Um, Richard was uh, the, the yeah founder of a big, EU project, which uh, gave us a lot of money to meet, communicate, and really bring our discipline forward. And that was very, very, um, yeah, a good time and still goes on. And uh, this was the crown of our collaboration, probably, to um, bring out the books. To to do the book. And then, uh, Karsten? Yes, thank you. My name is Karsten Jürgensen. uh, also, Professor Emeritus uh, at the Norwegian University of Life Sciences uh, and at uh, Oslo School of Architecture. Uh, I've been teaching and doing research in landscape architecture for almost 40 years uh, in, uh, in Norway, in these two schools. And uh, uh, then I also became involved in the European issues with uh, with Richard and Elke and others and and uh, completed uh, this book project uh, among some others. Uh, Richard, could you uh, just tell us briefly about the fourth author who's, uh, who's 
uh, otherwise booked today. Uh, Nigel? Um, sorry, I, I lost the connection just now, but I, I can briefly uh, mention Nilgul Karadeniz. She is a professor in uh, Turkey at the University of Ankara, and uh, she is, um, I think, more of a, a landscape planner uh, than a landscape designer. Um, and she's also been uh, closely involved with, uh, um, obviously, with the book, but um, with uh, cooperation, international cooperation at the, at the wider European level. Well, this is good. Well, Richard, let's start with you then. What was uh, your motivation for writing this book and putting it together? Um, well, I, I think it's important to stress that, that uh, we, as a team of four people, were acting as editors. We, we, were, we weren't the authors. Each chapter has, it, has its own author. Um, what, um, what the interesting thing was, though, um, was I think as part of our um, uh, contacts at the European level, um, with, with colleagues uh, in, in a whole range of countries. There was a lot of interest in uh, teaching and in talking about teaching. And um, there weren't any uh, books really at the time um, looking at teaching landscape architecture. And um, the, the book resulted from uh, an initial call for, uh, for papers or for chapters um, on teaching. And uh, the result was... Uh, was much uh, greater than we expected. It was it was almost overwhelming. I think you could say there were I think um, at least there were over seventy uh, chapters were um, submitted, and uh, obviously we started to, to look at them and uh, try and work out which ones we we thought wouldn't go in the book, and uh, it was very difficult to find those because they were all uh, interesting, they were all uh, good, and we gradually came to the idea of thinking well. Wouldn't it be possible to to do two books? Um, and uh, to cut a long story short, that's that's what uh, ended up as happening. We proposed um, splitting the uh, chapters that have been submitted into into two separate books. And the one we're talking about today is actually the second of, of the two. Uh, the first was the the Routledge Handbook of, of Teaching Landscape, um, which dealt with um, to some extent more theoretical issues and. Um, uh, conventional forms of teaching, and we collected all of the chapters relating, above all, to, to studio teaching, which is what this second book is about, together, uh, and they became then the second book. So um, it's, it's difficult to say that was the motivation for creating this book, because originally uh, the motivation was for just creating a book about teaching rather than this specific one about um, studio teaching, but that's... that's uh, it evolved from this process, I think. Uh, Karsten? Yes? Why did you get involved in this as an editor? What, what was your motivation? Why, what did you enjoy about putting together this book? Yes, uh, I was, um, I've also been, been a founding editor of a journal called uh, JOLA, Journal of Landscape Architecture, which was uh, established by ECLAS, by this European uh, collaboration body. Uh, and while I was uh, editor there for for ten years, from from nineteen from from twenty oh six, I I discovered that there were a lot of people who wanted to share their their experiences in teaching. So and they had a lot of creative ideas, but uh, the, the profile of the journal is a little bit more, uh, more scientific. It's, it's more scholarly, uh, 
uh, analytical. So, so most many of the papers, most of the papers did not fit. So I, I was, uh, I thought that maybe a book could sort of solve this um, this uh, problem. A lot of good and creative teachers who wanted to share their their uh, interesting ideas. And uh, then we got together uh, on the initiative of ECLAS and and f formulated a call for papers that uh, Richard mentions. Uh, and then we go to uh, Elke, I, if I'm saying it right. You know, I'm going to admit my family's Scots-Irish, and if I pronounce it wrong, I'm just going to come up with a nickname for you. So um, <laughs> that's meant and fun. Uh, so Elke, why did you want to do this book? Actually, I, I think I ran into this um, question of how do we teach um, which didactics can we use pedagogy and all these things, um, which was very, yeah, very in, in about 10 years, 15 years ago. And I thought this is really interesting to, to reflect on the teaching. What am I doing? What, what is my goal with this? And um, I, I, yeah, out of this ECLAS and collaboration project that we had anyway, we talked so much about um, the teaching process, but also about the Bologna process, the uh, knowledge and understanding, what, what should be the skills of the students in the end of meeting us somehow. And do I have to teach? Can I teach everything? Or is there also a, a, a way of um, advising the students to, to find the right way themselves? And um, this was um, really interesting, the discussion, the exchange with the colleagues. So I wanted to, to make that book for a long time. And then I was so happy that Carson took the initiative and uh, let me be with the group. Um, because he, he knew so much about making books and, and Jola was so successful with him that it was, yeah, it turned out really well. Now, the book is divided into, of course, I love history, I'll be honest, and you start with the Beaux Arts to Bauhaus, but then you've got four sections. You've got design studios, landscape construction classes, landscape planning studios, landscape history and theory. So how does this all play together. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is why did you divide the book like this and, and what can the reader or the, the listeners today uh, get from each chapter or each section? I'll let anybody take that one. May I say something? Uh, start? Uh, sorry. Well, <laughs> sorry, Richard. Please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the I think we are a bit in the tradition of landscape architecture um, thinking and we you have to sort the articles that you have. If there are too many, you have to somehow, yeah, we, we discuss them, we put them on this pile or on that pile, and we came up with the, in actually three pillars, the nature, the construction, creativity, and then maybe the history as the fourth. So we, this is very simple, I think, um, how we divided the chapters, but then when you look at the chapters a bit deeper, you will see um, they reflect more on maybe landscape planning, but they also use methods that we could find in landscape design or, um, yeah, other ways. So that's, I think, 
more the way of um, sorting out and making this book a bit clearer for the reader, of course. Richard, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, it, it's, it was a bit of post-rationalization, if you like. We, we, were, we uh, made an open call for chapters. We, we got a certain range of things that were submitted, and then we obviously we tried to uh, create some, some kind of structure out of what was there. Um, so we didn't start off with the structure and then say, well, we want to commission people to write chapters on landscape planning studios or on uh, construction. It, it worked very much bottom up. And, and uh, we then, uh, as as editors, uh, tried to um, derive the structure from from uh, what what was submitted. Yeah, I, I like at the beginning your, your introduction. You have Beau Arts to Bauhaus and beyond, and, and the four of you uh, put this together. So um, how does your book... Uh, go beyond uh, the Beaux Arts about house. How does this um, move landscape architecture forward? I'll let Carson jump in. Okay, um, I think um, the um, uh, there are many answers to that question because uh, because the book is so diverse. There is so many approaches are presented here. But one answer is that um, uh, it moves landscape architecture forwards. By by being so diverse, by presenting uh, a lot of, of um, approaches to teaching landscape that uh, that uh, comes from from very different uh, schools of, of thinking and, and uh, teaching, and I mean one example could be <clears throat> could be. Uh, the the chapter uh, by Carola Wiengren uh, about dancing dancing the landscape uh, she takes her students uh, into to landscapes uh, urban or rural landscapes and uh, and they are do, performing sort of of uh, dance projects to to understand the landscape they are going to work in, and this is this is this sounds maybe strange from from the outside, but it's it's actually part of a longer tradition. Uh, uh, the famous landscape architect Lawrence Halperin and his wife Anna Halperin have been doing these uh, things for for a long, long time, <clears throat> and um, and Anna even uh, uh, presented. Uh, an example of this in the in the Venice Biennale in, uh, some some years ago. So uh, this is uh, and, and there have been a lot of others doing similar things. So I was very happy that we got got Carola uh, Wiengren's chapter uh, showing this this very specific approach to to understanding the landscape, which is um, which is. Uh, probably uh, one of the one of the keys to many of the chapters that that uh, they are about how to to understand the landscape and the task, which is really the two two uh, things that have to go together in a landscape project. From from Beaux Arts to Bauhaus, um, how does this book uh, go beyond uh, those two schools of thought? Yeah. Uh, okay. Thank you. I, I think <laughs> this this. Um, Bridge is um, the Bauhaus had its uh, 100th birthday in 2019, as we all know. And um, okay, it was in Germany, so it was close to where where I am living. 
but it has a, had a, a wide influence on, on architects worldwide. And we still feel that students who study architecture somewhere in the world, when they, it comes to Germany, they study Bauhaus. And Bauhaus was just such a small, short period, really. But the influence is, uh, yeah, very, very wide. And so at the same time, we had the first um, European program for landscape architecture in Karsten's school. So that was, but Bauhaus didn't care about landscape architecture or whatever that was called at that time. They, they neglected this um, open space totally. Um, but now I think we, we go far beyond. Um, we have 100 years of Bauhaus, 100 years of academic education uh, in landscape architecture in Europe. And that made us very proud. But still, we, we are still a young profession, um, academic profession. Um, we, yeah, this is one thing. And, and the other thing is that um, I would say that we, like Bauhaus was very rational in designing, in using the materials. But what we do and what we teach and have to teach is um, not only to make a site function well. It, uh, when we would talk about safety, for example, we wouldn't plant a tree, we wouldn't put a bench somewhere, we would put a lot of light to make it really safe. But what we would miss is creating atmosphere. And I think we create um, better sites for people. Um, and that is really a bit of Bauhaus, but it goes beyond for our well-being and, and the surrounding and whatever. So I think especially now we need a lot more in, in um, yeah, when we see climate change is happening and so on, we have a lot of challenges that we have to address. And that's, um, yeah, far beyond Bauhaus, I would say. Uh, Richard, would you like to try that one too? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I agree uh, absolutely with what Elke is uh, saying. I mean, the, the Bauhaus didn't really... Um, consider what went on outside the buildings and that's really what our focus is as landscape architects um, but I think what's important about the Bauhaus and how it differs from um, the the Beaux-Arts tradition was that uh, Beaux-Arts you knew what you were going to produce and you, uh, students were um, basically drilled into reproducing uh, examples of, of the, the perfect solution uh, whereas what the Bauhaus did was to, to turn all that uh, on its end, as it were, and to uh, start um, a much more open process of teaching. And I think that's what um, certainly studio teaching uh, is very much about now in, in landscape architecture. We, we don't know what the answer is going to be at the end of the studio. What we're trying to um, teach uh, is much more about a process rather than creating a certain predetermined project product. Uh, so. Um, I think that's that's the first step. The the set the beyond step obviously uh, is is moving into perhaps the the digital world where um, uh, again new methods and new approaches and new ways of perceiving the environment are uh, are becoming central. But also um, I think another aspect of um, teaching is also the the question of um, 
involving uh, the community and the, and the wider public. So it's not just the the expert, as it were, who's uh, the uh, cent at the centre of the creative process, but um, very much uh, this idea of um, the the community as as part of the the team, as it were. And I think that's also um, part of this moving beyond uh, the Bauhaus. Uh, I think the Bauhaus was very much about the the experts, uh, and uh, we are we're probably still experts, but experts in uh, being open uh, in in uh, involving others uh, and drawing them into the process of of planning and design and creativity. Well, let me start into, um, I'll talk about each of these sections a little bit too. And you've, the first one is design studios. And I will say, actually, one of your chapters in here, Roxy Thorne, I interviewed her, um, I think it was last year. It was about materiality, et cetera. She had a very interesting book um, as well. Um, so out of these, can you all um, talk about one of these chapters and why you decided to um, include it in a book and what, how it... Um, this common phrase I've heard a lot is, you know, how it moves landscape architecture forward. Um, can you choose one of these chapters, each of you, and then uh, discuss why you put it in the book? We'll start with Elke. Um, yep, maybe I would choose the last chapter in that section by Susan Harrington. Um, she, when I when I first started reading that, I I was thinking, well, she only applies this four concept, uh, the four trace concept of um, Christophe Giroux, what we knew and was very theoretical, very good concept. But you know, we we didn't want a chapter that um, repeats other people's methods. And then I read further, of course, because I know Susan Harrington. She's a uh, well-known professor in um, the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, so um, she, she wouldn't really do an easy thing. And she applied this method to an old railway section on a um, not used um, site anymore and brought her students out to explore the, that site. And it was, you know, the, the railways Railway lines are um, often in, in not the nicest areas of a town. And then when they are um, not in use anymore, then the sites don't get better. So the students went out to, to check the site and to um, see what is there. They, they found the butterflies and wildlife and whatever. So they um, really came up with a lot of good um, ana analysis, and then um, on on top of that, did good designs for for that site. So I think it was really um, the starting point was a well known method, but then they exploded, and this is what what a studio is very often about. You you just give give a starting point, and then the students go out, and you can just advise them and put them in to this or that direction, but you, you cannot say, I want this result at the end. So I think this is a really fine example of a good studio work. Richard, uh, is there a favorite chapter that you like? Um, well, maybe the, the chapter by Bettina Lamm and uh, Anna Margareta Wagner on urban interventions is something that uh, is worth 
pulling out. Um, just coming back to this this question of, of um, beyond uh, beyond the Bauhaus, um, we, the book is about studio, and studio is obviously a, a place. Uh, at least it, in first and foremost, is is the place where students work. Uh, but of course, studio is is now a method, of, an approach, and I think what's critical about uh, this chapter is that it's it's about get, getting outside the studio. It's about going out into the world um, and um, looking at it one to one and developing interventions and, and concepts. Uh, and uh, in in the case of uh, this studio, it's about actually building these interventions, um, interventions which um, maybe also are a little bit different in terms of um, what were perhaps earlier approaches to teaching rather than planning a whole area um, this intervention approach is actually uh, focusing on particular critical places uh, and taking an approach which is a bit uh, like acupuncture if you like finding the the uh, the critical areas and and uh, focusing on them as a a basic starting point for transforming a, a wider area and and this design studio that um, uh, Bettina Lam and uh, Anna Margareta Wagner are talking about is doing exactly that, um, focusing on particular areas and um, actually building one-to-one -one interventions, structures into this landscape as, as a way of uh, transforming it and a way of also um, getting the, the public to perceive these places differently. And I think that's, that's very important too. It's about an interaction with people. It's not just about being in the, um, in the studio, in the academic ivory tower. Uh, it's about... Um, uh, creating uh, actual physical landscapes, which of course is something that is not always easy to do uh, in in teaching in in a um, higher education context. So I think that this chapter is very interesting from from that point of view, um, and obviously to be recommended. And uh, so, pick a chapter that you like from Design Studios, and tell me why did you include it in the book? Yeah, thank you. I. I I, it's difficult to, to choose because they are all very interesting. I already mentioned the, the dancing chapter, uh, but uh, I, I would also point at uh, the first chapter by um, Marco Casagrande, which, who is a Finnish landscape architect and artist who is, has a very uh, big in, and influential international practice uh, in, in landscape architecture and art projects, but he's um, especially famous for for his projects in Taiwan, where he has been uh, implementing something he calls uh, he calls landscape acupuncture, where he he uh, in, makes uh, small interventions that have big um, big uh, influences or, or uh, big results in a way. Uh, and uh, what is also fascinating about uh, about what he's doing, he's he's both a, a practitioner and a, and a professor, so he's also teaching. Is that he's he's going um, what you could call outside the box. He's always looking for alternative uh, solutions, and he's doing. Is um, uh, I, I think he's even uh, breaking the law here when he engages the students in in. Uh, Trying to to save um, uh, a neighborhood that was supposed to be uh, to be um, uh, just removed, uh, and um, 
he engages the the people there and uh, and this way of of working with the whole landscape including the the, the people and uh, and coming up with uh, with interesting strange ideas uh, is i think very inspiring now on the next section i've noticed that you've only got two chapters on um landscape construction um we have to build our crazy ideas. How did how did we only end up with two chapters here? May I say something about that? Yes. Um, yeah. Just just as a starting point, maybe. Yes, it um, is a part of our discipline that we usually tend to not think as being able um, for design or any studio work. And yeah, Carsten. Um, <laughs> well, we. <laughs> Okay, um, we have a lot more chapters or deeper going chapters in the handbook because um, construction, you need to learn a lot and you, you need to know how to do things and which concrete to use and all these things. But what, what we pointed out here, wanted to point out is that first of all, the construction belongs to the whole process. We, if we just, um, develop ideas, funny ideas, whatever ideas, we do need to come up with a possible site plan in the end um, if we want to change the world or this site that we are working on. So uh, we also need to be able to construct that um, site in the way to, to have it long livable and whatever. Um, very often the construction um, lectures are seen as separate. And here we have this um, Peter Pitschek's chapter. He is a professor in Rapperswil in Switzerland. And he's talking about rainwater and also about the building information modeling and about bringing in the construction technical aspects into the design. And I think this was really well done, um, very good good chapter. He's not only the construction site who is calculating the rainwater that has to be brought somewhere away from, from the houses. And he has a, at the same time, very modern and, and uh, at least for Germany, I can say that, and I, I can see, I, I think that it also applies to the United States, for example, the attitude that we come away from talking about the, the problem with water and rainwater, we have to put it away, put it to the sewer and don't see it anymore. We, we have to be very respectful with the rainwater because we have more and more periods where we need the, the water for irrigation and uh, not, not in the sewer system where it is um, not, not the right place for it. So um, Pichek, can, can address all these aspects in just one chapter, which is um, still technical, but uh, in, a, in a design attitude and bringing these things together. So he's also, um, he goes out with the students, you see the picture with a big um, excavator or uh, the, the drones and so, um, uses um, the computer work very, very much, but it is always integrated 
into a good design. And I think if we, this is just something that is landscape architecture. We bring the ideas to real life. And that's why we need the construction classes also. And that we didn't want to omit um, the section, but didn't have too many mm, yeah, chapters. Chapters, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, and, uh, well, that's true. That makes sense because it gets really into, like, technical books too. Um, the next one you have is Landscape Planning Studios. Um, and you do have, since we don't have, I think we're missing the French influence here. Uh, can anybody talk about um, uh, the chapter from, where is it? Oh, Teaching Landscape Urbanism in the French Context. How, how and why did you uh, include that chapter? I'll let you somebody jump in. Richard. I'm just uh, thumbing through the book to remind myself of this chapter. Um, we obviously had a, a, an open call for, for chapters from everywhere. So obviously we, we had uh, inputs from uh, from France and uh, this idea of, of, uh, um, of landscape urbanism uh, is, is something which, uh, I mean, it's, it's not essentially French from, from that point of view. Um, but it's, it's uh, I think, an approach that's um, that's quite theoretical, and um, uh, it's it's a question of, of again maybe in comparison to the, to the situation with with construction. How how do you teach this in a studio? Um, how do you look at um, uh, the concept of, of urbanism from a landscape point of view and, and apply that um, at a at a large scale? Um, and uh, I think this this chapter um, looks at both the um, the theoretical background and, and the ways that it can be a, applied in in um, uh, planning studios. And um, I think it focuses on this issue of um, uh, strategic approaches to uh, urban open space and, and landscape, um, which is something uh, um, which I think needs to be increasingly uh, focused on uh, as. Uh, Urban areas are, are becoming the sort of um, are the, the natural habitat of, of Homo sapiens now, uh, and, and this chapter I think focuses on uh, the various approaches for um, for regarding the landscape as uh, as part of an integral part of a, a, an urbanism approach, um, whether it's a particularly French approach or whether it's just an example from France. Uh, I think uh, I, I will. Uh, Leave, leave open, um, but I think it's it's a very uh, good approach uh, that uh, shows this strategic uh, view of um, urban landscape and and uh, how we can uh, deal with that with examples from from Bordeaux and uh, uh, other um, cities, Strasbourg, um, which uh, um, have come out of design studios, uh, which are, are I think it's again another characteristic of, of the studio it's it's both looking at a generic issue uh, of the urban landscape and then the specific topic and a specific place how do you apply this um, generic issue uh, to a particular context and, and uh, again it's, it's it's another characteristic of, of studio teaching i think both a broader issue and and a very concrete uh, place and, and a question uh, relating to that uh, Karsten, is there a chapter in the planning studios section that you would like to discuss? Yeah, I think they, they are also very fascinating. Uh, we might maybe mention um, uh, the first chapter by, by Karl Steinitz, who um, 
is presenting uh, a specific uh, uh, sort of studio that he has been uh, been running all over the world for many years, uh, engaging uh, students with different backgrounds and uh, and uh, building teams uh, to solve. Uh, specific and uh, very often very realistic and, and concrete problems in um, in an urban context usually and um, uh, he's following a, a specific pattern that he has been developing uh, uh, theoretically and uh, uh, and arriving at a, a, a lot of um, very interesting results not least uh, process-wise, I mean the, the way the way that he develops processes that can uh, that can uh, point at and and uh, develop solutions for uh, for uh, very very specific uh, urban planning uh, projects. And uh, the final section, let's talk about it. Landscape, history, and theory. Um, Elke, would you like to discuss what are these uh, chapters here? Um, yeah, you, you mentioned the French context. So maybe I can figure that you like the French art of landscaping. <laughs> so I would um, start with Bernadette Blanchon. She's teaching in Versailles, a very, very nice school and also a very nice colleague there, professor, and um, this school is, is uh, one of the highest um, yeah, um, ranking schools in, in France at least, and very high also in, in Europe, I think. And I think their, um, their approach is really interesting. Um, the, this, mm, they go back uh, in, in the um, History and, and they go out and, and draw and sketch and, and use really a sketchbook which is um, always very wanted but not so often done, I think. But um, I think the French school is really um, well known for, for a lot of good drawings, as the, the, the Americans are, I think, as well. But um, I cannot really ask my students too much about that. Um, and then they they work a lot with um, sections. I think that's also something that's, that we we do, we know how to do it and we very often do, but here their sections show a lot of the development and um, different um, stages of the, the, yeah, where was what built, when, and so on. Um, I think this is very nice and, and it gives you a good impression on the images that French or I mean, no, the whole book has a lot of images, but I, I especially like this um, and that they point out this type of um, multi-scale approach and working a lot with sketching and sections. So go ahead and, and um, find out how she's doing and uh, this and how she developed this. I, I think it's really worthwhile, as all the other chapters are, of course. <laughs> well, I guess I'll confess. I mean, Claude Monet is my favorite landscape architect, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, and it's favorite of, uh, well, a lot of people, well, you know, when I landed in Europe, um, when I was actually in my thirties and I was just, uh, amazed by all the parks over there and the emphasis on that versus, uh, the United States, you know, we have a lot of big national parks. We do it, but, um, I really liked how uh, Europe integrated parks into the cityscape too. Um, that was really nice. Um, and the urban planning, um, maybe you guys could talk a little bit about that too. Do you think it's, um, this is a little bit outside of the book, but it's kind of relevant. You know, how does, you know, if you've been to the U S how does it compare to Europe when we kind of talk about landscape architecture in that way? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's very interesting. Well, maybe I, I'll say something cause I, I don't know the U S very well, so it's easy to make. <laughs> you, you have little experience about, but, um, I mean, I think the, the car is obviously a, a big issue in American cities and, um, Obviously, it's, it's become a big issue in, in European cities too, but European cities, I think, got their, their basic structure before the car became so dominant. So um, this idea of um, uh, pedestrian scale and, and um, the, the need to create uh, places where people can walk and enjoy the landscape has been, purely for historical reasons, I think, much uh, more important for a longer period of time than it has in the States. Uh, and um, this idea of um, creating uh, urban structure, urban green space as a sort of backbone, uh, as a skeleton for um, the urban environment also certainly goes back to the, um, the reaction against the industrial cities uh, in the, uh, the 19th century, uh, the need to create uh, green lungs and breathing spaces. And, and this integration of parks, I think, is something which um, has a, a long tradition. Uh, I think we've neglected it for, for quite a long time, but the idea of green infrastructure is now allowing us to um, rediscover it, uh, hopefully in new ways, and, and to, to reinforce it. So I think um, uh, that's perhaps a difference um, which uh, we can we can build on. But obviously, um, there, are, there are big potentials in, in the States as well, I'm sure. Karsten, did you want to say something? Uh, yes, if I can. I, I, I agree with what uh, Richard says, but uh, he's, uh, he's even a little bit too modest because uh, the, the development in, in Europe started uh, the end of the, of the 18th century, actually. The, they, were, uh, they were building parks for people uh, already uh, second half of, of, the, of the 18th century. And what is uh, one example is is the um, the so-called Englischer Garten in Munich, which was um, uh, which was opened in eighteen eighty nine, I think, and no, seventeen eighty nine. And and um, what is interesting is that um, the, the man who became sort of the father of landscape architecture in the United States, Frederick Law Olmsted, he came to visit Europe around 1850, in the 50s. And he f discovered a park in Liverpool or near Liverpool that he, he was uh, very, he fell very much in love with. And, um, uh, and he, um, uh, he wrote a book about this uh, later on, Walks and Talks of an American Farmer in, in Europe. And he uh, describes this, um, this uh, 
uh, experience as as sort of groundbreaking, and he decided to to work for 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 this type of, of development in the United States, and then he became the designer of Central Park and a lot of other <clears throat> very important parks uh, in in the U.S. And then uh, he became so famous that um, uh, that he. Um, uh, the European landscape architects started to uh, to um, visit uh, the parks of Frederick Law Olmsted to br- to bring inspiration back to Europe. So there's been a, a sort of a transatlantic conversation uh, here. Now, uh, Elke and, and Richard have lost my sound. Uh, what about you, Tricia? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you. Yes. Yeah. Good. So there's a, a long tradition of, uh, of urban uh, parks in, uh, in Europe, which is, I think, part of the reason that, uh, that you see this, uh, uh, this uh, difference, that uh, as, as Richard said, they, they are integrated very much into the green structure of, of the cities in Europe. So, yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, it is. It's just, um, yeah, you know, I mean... I, when I grew up, of course, um, I'm already, you know, at the age of, you know, cars are the only transportation that we look forward to getting our driver's license. And then um, being in Europe um, and being able to walk everywhere, it was, um, well, it was great for two reasons. Number one, um, I loved how they had cafes, you know, how uh, cafes were integrated into parks and the, 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 and the whole urban landscape and you, it was so walkable and I, mean, I can eat chocolate mousse at lunch and not worry about it because I walk for a couple hours a day at least. It was great. Hmm. And um, yeah, versus the United States, it's like, uh-uh, no chocolate mousse for you. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a car, you can get it. <laughs> may, may I add a little bit to that? Sure. Because I, I think comparisons are um, sometimes a bit difficult uh, because I think each country, each city, each site has its own history and development and also the people are adapted to what they have, what they are used to. Um, but I, I did ex- um, experience what, what Richard said because I was an exchange student when I was 16. I came to Memphis, Tennessee, where there mm-hmm. was no one walking around. So I, I did some sports when I was younger. So I um, was so happy to live close to a park and I went there very often, but sometimes I also went to the store. And on that way, people would stop in, well, driving by in their car, stop and ask me if they could take me somewhere. And I was just going, no, please let me walk. (laughs) This is all I want to do. I don't want to get anywhere. I want to walk. but on the other hand, I think um, when you see New York City with the Central Park, this is such a big example of, of a good integrated park in a, in a new modern city um, that where we look to. If you, sometimes it's like um, what you know where you grew up and then you go somewhere else, you, you say, you see, wow, this is exciting. Um, so value what you have, and, and I think we can learn from one another, but it's not better or worse. It's just different, I would say. And I really experienced, um, I, I went on a research trip. I went back because I collected friends and colleagues and so on. 
so so for such a long time and I went back and um, on a research trip about um, how cities um, react to climate change with landscape architecture projects and I found a lot of projects in in the United States but also in other countries where um, in in North and South America where I was um, when where where I think well great it's always good to to know more of the world and not only the standard German norms and laws and we have so many numbers and I maybe this is German but um, and and it kills creativity and it kills the um, uh, the effort or the the yeah the excitement of um, landscape architects to really act um, positively and progressively in their um, projects and I I would say the self confident in of landscape architects was really good in the states um, well at least the ones I had contact to so here I would say we um, our self confidence is not really perfect now well that's true and that's a very good point that um uh you know contrast and compare but it's not a judgment either and uh for all the car people out there yes i i love my car too uh my first car was my dad's old i don't know if you're familiar with it or not um my dad's old 69 camaro it was like the best little hot rod. <laughs> zoom, zoom. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I like my car. Um, but that's true. It's a good point. You know, I think in the U.S. too, um, we'll say about you know, the Everglades and our big national parks are just um, really phenomenal. Um, we, we've really done a, a great job with that um, experience of, of wildness. Um and, and trying to preserve that. And I think that here too, that, um, you know, more and more people are getting more interested in, in walkable areas. And um, especially in Florida, uh, a lot of the resorts are trying to plan more green spaces into them and making it walkable because while we love our cars, you know, it's, um, we get, I, I get a little tired of using it all the time too. I like to walk. I think we're falling in love with walking again. If you have the choice, it would be the best. But I think you can also say that we we certainly haven't solved the problem of the car in in Europe either. Um, we've had uh, projects with with students as well, uh, designing parks on the space of a one car parking space. So five meters by two and a half meters. Uh, this was one to one build projects, but there, there's a sort of need here to fight back and and reclaim parking spaces one by one, just about. And, and that's one of the big problems with, with upgrading urban landscapes, even in, in quite walkable, dense urban cities. Actually, people still want to be able to park their car uh, where they can see it. Uh, and uh, there's, still, there's still a big uh, battle to be fought there, I think. Well, it sounds like um, landscape architecture has got a lot of work cut out for it. Sure. Um, well, I want to thank you all um, for being here today. And um, I'd like to close with... Uh, asking each of you, um, what projects are you working on now? And we'll start with uh, Karsten. Okay, uh, I'm, um, I'm working, uh, I, as you, you mentioned, you were interested in history. We, uh, that's also my main interest and, and uh, it has been my main teaching and research. I'm working on uh, 
on historical archives and um, uh, that's also why I'm, I'm very happy we have this chapter in the last section uh, by Lili Litschka and, and uh, Ronovic and Ulrike Kripner about uh, how the voices from the from the archives can enrich our um, our understanding of uh, of the landscape and of the environment in general. So uh, I'm uh, just now writing uh, a review of a book, a new book, a uh, recent book in in uh, was published a couple of weeks ago about the famous Norwegian architect Sverdefen, who was um, uh, designing also with with nature in a way. So that's my my current task. Oh, that sounds interesting. You have to let me know. Elke, what are you working on now? Well, I'm still teaching a lot of hours and, and um, I try to really um, have a good contact to the students. And this um, is also a lot of work. But as I just said, I, I'm still working on this um, climate change issue because I did my diploma and my doctorate in bioclimatic issues, bioclimatic and um, in, in urban planning and structures. So um, then when I finished that, um, there was no interest in climate change issues and I couldn't find any job with that. So I was very happy to enter the school and go back to landscape architecture teaching. And now for the last 10 years, more or less, um, this, this climate issue came back and I decided, well, if I have knowledge in that field and the landscape architecture field, I do want to um, promote the landscape um, architecture in climate change adaptation of cities and with good projects and promote landscape architecture. Because I think green infrastructure can do a lot to um, lower the, the bad in, um, influences of climate change and cities are really very vulner vulnerable. So um, we have to tell the cities that there is something like landscape architecture and not only gray infrastructure. And on the other hand, I also want to show my discipline a little bit of um, more being self-confident in what we can do. But then we have to build in a resilient way, in a robust way sometimes it needs to be not only nice but it needs to be um, sustainable and what does that mean it's the structures that we build and also the vegetation that we choose um, so I think there are some easy um, well solutions are not easy but some take them really easy and then we don't solve the problem that's my my biggest topic right now and uh, Richard, what uh, you said you just retired, but did you have any projects uh, for retirement? Yeah, I, I'm still struggling to finish a, another book chapter on, on international cooperation uh, in, in landscape architecture education. It's one of those things I thought would be easy, and I suddenly discovered it's actually quite complicated, and uh, uh, you need to be able to uh, look at it in different ways, to, uh, which I originally thought. Um, and uh, we've been talking to, to Elke about possibility. We were thinking about a paper on green infrastructure, which uh, may be something that could develop further in the direction of uh, a book, perhaps, but it's still very much uh, early days. And we include well, Ugul also 
probably in that because she's also very experienced and Carsten, if he has time because he's so busy, but <laughs> would be good to follow up with this collaboration. So we look forward to seeing some more projects from the four of you then in the future. We hope so. Yeah. Well, again, I want to, I want to thank uh, the three of you for being here today and uh, making this possible transatlantic. Uh, it's uh, It's been a challenge, but we, we made it through and I thank you for, for being here. And I'd like to let the audience know that the book is Teaching Landscape, The Studio Experience, published by Routledge in 2020. And your editors are, I'm just going to say the first names, Karsten, Nigel, Elke, Richard. And it will be spelled correctly on the NBN website. Um, and this is, of course, uh, Trisha Keffer from sunny Key Largo, Florida, your host for new books in architecture with a special mini-series in landscape architecture, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Thank you.